it'll be exciting for him, I'm sure, to come back here. But um, they've got a good team, ranked seventh in their uh, in the F, um, FCS and or FBS. And uh, which one is it? FCS. FCS. I don't even know what we are. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, September 14th. We hope you're enjoying the show, wherever it is you're getting the show, whether that's on ESPN's YouTube channel, or if you're here with us via the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, we really appreciate you being with us. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. You're probably looking at me and saying, Greg, what the heck are you wearing? I'm wondering the exact same thing. I have TV here in just a little bit, so I got to be looking just the tiniest bit dapper. Don't judge me, Okay. I'm not wearing pants right now. I'm wearing shorts, okay? So don't worry. It might look like business up top, but down below, I'm wearing Lululemon cut-off sweat shorts, okay? So don't worry. I'm not all classy. I'm just giving off the impression that I am, at least right now. We have a great game plan in store for you today as we're going to dive in like we do every Wednesday to the 10 questions we want answered here in week three of the college football season. Plus, we're going to play the game that we always play on Wednesday as well. Guess who said it? It's always kind of fun. My record's not that great, but still fun nonetheless. So we'll get into that as well. And another episode, it's Wednesday, of Eli's Places. We'll give you a quick preview on what to expect from Eli Manning. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. So basically, your body's in Birmingham, but your heart's still in Gainesville? I'm not wearing jean shorts. I'm wearing sweat shorts. Like actual, I don't know if you can see their sweat shorts. All right. But hey, at least I'm wearing pants. That's a win. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, it's a Wednesday staple. Try to dive into some of the questions that we have that we want answered here heading into week three of the college football season. So, Coops, take it away. Ten questions we want answered. Number one, will Drew Pine be able to deliver Marcus Freeman his first win at Notre Dame? I'm going to say yes, okay? All right. <laughs> feel, That's it. Not, Moving on. Number two. <laughs> yeah. All right. Perfect. You ask a yes or no answer, you get a yes or no result. Uh, no, I, I think he will. Now, I look at the 11 snaps he played last week, and re- remember, it's a difficult circumstance through a bad pick. Um, did throw a touchdown. So, you know, some, some good to become of it, I suppose. But if you look at Pine, he has played in four games. Over the course of the first two seasons while at Notre Dame, and there have been times when he's gone in, looked pretty good. The game comes 
to mind probably more than anybody else was Wisconsin last year. Well, I would start, hardly call him the, the, the savior, if you will, but he played okay under the circumstances. Now, he's a little bit immobile, but maybe not as immobile as Jack Cohn was a year ago, but he doesn't necessarily have the speed that Tyler Buckner has. We know Buckner can create with his legs. So they're going to have to be a little bit more creative when it comes to the play calling. Drew Pine is the tiniest bit limited when it comes to his skill set at this point of his development. So the thing is, it's not going to get much worse for Notre Dame. The offense has sputtered in the first two weeks of the season. Buckner hasn't been great throwing the football. He's completing just over 50% of his passes and has only 378 passing yards. So uh, they have to get better and they're going to have to be better around Drew Pine because he doesn't have the creativity that Buckner has, but he has experience and is a little bit of a gamer, if you will. So with a full week of work, as the starting quarterback, I would anticipate a better performance here as the starter this week. All right. Number two, will Nebraska come out with a different energy against Oklahoma without Scott Frost on the sidelines? It kind of depends a little bit on two different things. One, Mickey Joseph. Let's just start with who he is, okay? Mickey Joseph, if you're unaware, he is the interim coach. He steps into the role he played at Nebraska, was a bona fide Recruit back in 1988, was a Gatorade Player of the Year, was a first-team Parade All-American, so we went to Nebraska with significant expectations. Now, he didn't have the greatest career as a player, but he's universally beloved by many in the coaching world. Another thing, too, if you look at what he's done more recently, what he's done at wide receiver, as a wide receiver coach, he was the architect of the wide receiver room at LSU back in 2019, we all know what that passing offense did. Joe Burrow set every record. Jamar Chase won the Bolitnikoff. Justin Jefferson blossomed there in the slot. And that passing attack was, for the most part, unstoppable. And Mickey Joseph, if you talk to the players that have played for him before, he meets you where you're at. He's the perfect guy under difficult circumstances to step into this role and to make sure that even though they might not have the talent, they're going to give effort. There's no denying that. If you don't, it's on you as a player. So that's the first one. The second one is pride and performance in the players. I mean, at what point Scott Frost has been blamed for every single shortcoming that Nebraska has experienced the last couple of years. Understandably so, the buck stops with you as the head coach, but now it's ultimately on the players. Like They need to step up. They need to give great effort, and when it's close and the game's on the line, they need to make the play that could push them over the edge. We all know the record in one-score games, 5-22. and 22. That's not good enough, but guess what? It's all 0-0 zero and zero now. New leader, and whether it's Mickey Joseph that's the head coach in 2023 or if it's someone else that's going to be taking over as the Nebraska head coach, you know the first game tape I would watch if I were that coaching staff? I'd watch the Oklahoma game. Because that's the game that I'm going to find out, all right, who's going to be on board, who's going to help change the culture, and who's going to be the type of guys I can trust and rely on to give great effort, even when everyone's saying that you don't have a chance. So I think this is a significant week. I'd be surprised. I really would. I'd be surprised if Nebraska didn't play well this weekend. All right, number three, easily my favorite homecoming in college football in like the last 30 years. Bobby Petrino returns to Arkansas. What kind of reception will he get? Uh, 
Well, uh, as a kid from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, who's uh, a decent percentage of my high school friend group attended the University of Arkansas, and a decent percentage were there during the Bobby Petrino era. Uh, let me just say this. There's no love lost between Arkansas and Bobby Petrino. I, I know that he has gone back to the Little Rock Touchdown Club and has apologized and has said, hey, he, he made mistakes. He's owned up to those mistakes and he's paid consequences for those mistakes. He was fired, uh, did have a decent run at Louisville there for a few years, but has been for the most part unhirable. Uh, at the highest, highest levels of football in the last couple of years. He's now at Missouri State, but let's take a look at where Missouri State is. This is not just some rollover opponent. Now, Arkansas shouldn't have any issues with them. We know that, but they're number five team in the FCS. Prior to Bobby Petrino's arrival, they had been to the FCS postseason zero times since 1990. Well, he's made the postseason in two of the last three years. So they also, if you want to go back just one year ago, Missouri State gave Oklahoma State, we all know how good the Pokes were last year, they gave Oklahoma State all they wanted in the first week of the season. So they had the ball down seven in Poke territory under a minute left to play. So they've actually garnered a decent amount of confidence in what they can do at Missouri State. But either way, I mean, this game should go sideways. And I, if I'm Sam Pittman, I'm running it up because that's what my fan base wants to see. Uh, bonus question. How many neck brace uh, pictures in, in cardboard cutouts? Will we see a game day in Boone? This is on you, Boone. How many are we going to see? Uh, first of all, there will be... Based on the party that I saw last week, there might be people that need to wear a neck brace because they injured themselves celebrating the victory over Texas A&M. So I, you know, I, there might be a few, but uh, I don't think it's going to be because of Bob Petrino's homecoming. I think it might be because of the, the I don't, for lack of a better word, onslaught that occurred in Boone last week after the game went final against the Aggies. Fair. Number four, who will be under more pressure with a loss on Friday night, Louisville or Florida State? Uh, I think it's Louisville, and and partly not not that Mike Norvell is completely out of the woods, but they already have. I don't want to say a signature win, but a good win already this year against LSU. Uh, last week for Louisville, they they got back up off the mat. It was hideous in some ways against Syracuse in week number one. But if you look at how they played last week against UCF. I mean, UCF's probably looking at it saying, man, we killed ourselves. They had 11 penalties. They had 111 penalty yards, missed a field goal, had only 131 yards passing. Uh, but UCF averaged five and a half yards a carry. So they were able to run the football and they were pretty dang one-dimensional in the process. Malik Cunningham has been solid. Uh, I would not say up to this point of the season, he's been spectacular. Um, he's been good with his legs, which is to be expected. We knew he had that capability. He went for 17 for 121 uh, and a touchdown last week. And that 43-yard run for the touchdown was pretty dang nice, but he hasn't taken the next step as a passer just yet. He's going to have to, I think, against a Florida State defense that really prides themselves against the run. So I think the pressure is ultimately on Louisville's shoulders because right now they're a little bit one-dimensional. Their receiver core hasn't necessarily gelled just yet. And if you look at these games, I mean, this has kind of been an indicator of future success. Not that, you know, Florida State has had a lot of success in the last couple of years, but in years when Louisville has lost to Florida State, you know, can they recover in, in such circumstances? I always go back to the 2016 game, Lamar's coming out party. His, I don't want to say it's a Heisman moment because against Florida State in 2016, they, they weren't great, but that was a, a statement game, a statement win for Lamar 
there in 2016 that kind of put him on the map and then rode to ultimately winning the Heisman Trophy. So I think the pressure is squarely on Louisville's shoulders uh, and Florida State. There's already a decent amount of goodwill that's been built up already this year with the fact that they've improved in a lot of ways. All right. Speaking of Florida State, the team that lost to them in game one, LSU is a home dog against Mike Leach in Mississippi State. Can Brian Kelly pull the upset and get LSU's first P5 win this year? One would like to think that the improvements made last week, everyone's going to say, well, it was Southern. I get that. But the execution level was much better on both sides of the ball than it was the week before. You didn't have some of the same mistakes that you had in week one. You didn't have the penalties. You didn't have the sloppiness. So they cleaned things up quite a bit last week against a substandard opponent. Now, can you do it against a quality opponent? That remains to be seen. One thing I noticed last week in watching that game back, two things, actually. One thing for LSU and then one thing for Mississippi State. LSU, their first five offensive snaps were designed to go in the direction of Kayshawn Booty. First five offensive snaps were designed to go to Kayshawn Booty, including the first two plays. One was a rollout throw to the right to Kayshawn Booty. The other was a jet sweep to the left to Kayshawn Booty. So there was a clear emphasis to get him involved in the game plan early. And I think that that's going to need to continue because he's a guy that obviously was very frustrated with his role there in week one, clearly was more of a featured player in week two. And what I liked most too, if you really go back and watch the tape against Southern, not that any of you guys are going to go back and grind on it. I don't expect you to. It was Southern and the the score was 44 nothing at the end of the first quarter. But watch the first touchdown. Uh, We are easy to condemn. We quickly condemn here in college football and in media. Go back and watch Jaden Daniels' first touchdown. Kayshawn Booty's to the left. He runs a post. He's wide open in the back of the end zone. Jaden Daniels doesn't see him. He scrambles around to his right, ends up scoring a touchdown near the right pylon, about 40 yards away from where Kayshawn Booty was wide open in the back of the end zone. You know who the first guy was to run over there and celebrate with Jaden Daniels? It was Kayshawn Booty. Clearly, the message was received by him, and you could tell he was playing with a different sense of urgency there in week number two. So I'm cautiously optimistic that some of the troubling things we saw on the field in the first week of the season are a thing of the past. I think LSU will be better from this point forward as a result of their leader, the guy that wears number seven. He's going to be a huge factor in this offense. After all, John Emery also returns as well for LSU after serving a two-game suspension there at running back. And then for Mississippi State, I said there were two major takeaways from this past week. Mississippi State, you realize that they ran the ball on 11 of their first 15 offensive snaps? That's right. 11 of their first 15 offensive snaps. Mike Leach ran the ball 11 of their first 15 offensive snaps. I'm not talking about like quarterback scrambles. I'm talking about actual handoffs. Okay, so they are clearly a different group saying, hey man, if you're going to give us rushing lanes, if you're going to give us favorable run box counts, we're not afraid to hand it off anymore. That's a big change from where he's been in the past. So I think this will be an incredible game. I'll be on the call. Uh, please tune in six o'clock Eastern time on ESPN. So take a peek, come have some fun with us before we hand it off to Herb Street and Fowler in the nightcap when App State, or excuse me, wow, that's a faux pas, when Miami heads to Texas A&M. So it'll be interesting, I think, SEC night slate 
uh, this weekend. But I think LSU and Mississippi State, both probably teams that are, are going to actually end up being pretty good, even though a lot of us wanted to write off LSU after week one. I think based on what I saw last week, they've taken the necessary strides, and we already know that Mississippi State's legit. You think Mike Leach lost his play sheet and was just saying, I don't know, I don't have it right now. Run it. Run it for me, please. <laughs> if you look at what Arizona was lined up in, it made a lot of sense for them to run the football. But either way, massive tendency breaker for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. All right, number six, can Penn State protect Sean Clifford in the pocket against Auburn? Now, stop me if you've heard this before. Just go ahead and stop me. Say, Greg, hold on, hold on, hold on. But the Penn State offensive line needs to show some serious improvement. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you're you're no. saying you've heard that before. Yeah, okay. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've heard it from me. Maybe you've heard it as a Penn State fan. I don't know. All I know is that Penn State, their offensive line has not been exactly a force in quite some time. Uh, and it feels kind of odd because you look at the offensive performance last week. They had over 500 yards, had a big day on the ground. Uh, obviously, had a freshman running back go off more on him in a minute. But Sean Clifford was sacked three times. And they also gave up eight tackles for a loss. Uh, 44 yards lost on those eight tackles for a loss. So the penetration from Ohio was a little bit troubling. Now you're going to Auburn. And Auburn might have a couple issues in the secondary. There are a couple question marks in the back end. But the front seven defensively is excellent. And their defensive line in particular, very disruptive. So I think it's going to be very important for Penn State to make sure they hold up up front against a quality pass rushing group that can create a lot of problems for you. So I think this will be a huge, huge point of emphasis to get the ball out of Sean Clifford's hands quickly. They haven't yet really established who the number one alpha dog wide receiver is going to be. I think that might actually help them as far as the protection is concerned because it felt like there were times last year where Sean Clifford would get back there, he'd zero in, he'd say, all right, where's Jahan Dotson? All right, well, he, he's not doing that as much right now. He still does a tendency to hold the ball. He still has a tendency to take some unnecessary risk and occasionally miss, which leads to bad plays for the offense. But I do think the fact that they're spreading the football out and you have to kind of account for everybody is something that is beneficial for them. We know Nick Stingleton's legit. That should help out an awful lot with the passing game as well. If you can lean on the run game and you can live off play action, when you have a freshman back that's going to average 18 yards a carry, that's pretty helpful. And hey, Katron Allen, he's not exactly going to play second fiddle to many, but Nick Singleton is the worth the price of admission. So currently there are eight teams that have yet to force a turnover in college football. Auburn is one of those eight. The others are Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Fresno State, Army, Temple, and Maryland. Eight teams that have yet to force a turnover. If they can't create pressure against Sean Clifford and create turnovers, it could be a tough day for the Tigers. But either way, I love this matchup on Saturday. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I think the teams match up pretty well, actually. Both have up and down quarterback play, but both have, I think, quality defenses to make life difficult on the opposition. All right, moving on. Don't look now. But Liberty has beaten Southern Miss. They beat UAB. Can the fighting Hugh Freezes? Give Wake Forest a game on Saturday. Ultimately, this game is going to be more about Wake Forest than it is about Liberty. Uh, UAB was a mess last week. I uh, lost track of how many turnovers they had. But either way, uh, not Liberty's fault. They, they, they were opportunistic. They took advantage of the mistakes. Let's talk about Wake, though, because ultimately, like I said, it's going to come down to whether or not they play at their best. Sam Hartman came back from the blood clot 
Uh, I don't recall what the actual disorder was or, or whatever the condition was, but either way, he was impressive. He threw for 300 yards, didn't look like he missed much of a beat. When 18 to 27 had four touchdowns, people would say, well, it was against Vandy. And fair enough, but to see the type of chemistry that he had with his outstanding wide receiver, A.T. Perry, that was a sight to behold, man. A.T. Perry, uh, after a bit of a lukewarm performance in the opener, maybe part of that was the fact that Hartman wasn't out there. Man, did he burst onto the scene. Last week, I mean, the guy had five catches for 142 and a touchdown. I mean, looked un, really unguardable at times. And knowing that Liberty wants to run a lot of man concepts, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to match up with the long, strong, and athletic A.T. Perry there on the perimeter. And then on the defensive side of the football, Ryan Smend is back. He had now he'd been out for a little bit, had a suspension or whatnot. He was forced really there in the middle of that defense. And he is going to consistently be getting into the backfield and his seven tackles were a team high. He's a captain now, too. So his presence on the defense side of the football made a fairly significant impact in sloppy conditions against the the Vanderbilt Commodores last week. So uh, I think this game is really about Wake, and I, I think Wake will win the game comfortably, which will set up an all-time great one next week, potentially, for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons when they welcome Clemson to town. Ooh, all right. After a close loss... And with no Quinn Ewers, how do the Longhorns avoid an upset against a solid UTSA program? I could say this. They better be careful <laughs> because if there's one thing I know about UTSA, they're going to come to play. It's a really dangerous spot. Everyone's telling you how great you are. Everyone's telling you how far you've come. You left your heart out there on the field last week against the Crimson Tide. And now in comes a very dangerous team led by a veteran quarterback in Frank Harris that can do it all. The guy's our leading rusher. He's also been terrific in the passing game so far. So ultimately, I think this is going to be about whether or not they can control the line of scrimmage. I think it's a Bijan Robinson fest, basically. Translation, he's going to get a lot of looks. He's going to get a lot of touches and should. Uh, I also think that UTSA's defense up to this point has been very susceptible. I think they can get them on the ground. And I also think what I saw from the weapons last week on the perimeter, even though it's Hudson Card, I thought Hudson Card handled the circumstances quite well. Now, I hope that his ankle's better because if he's at less than 100%, that mobility that he might need, not necessarily against UTSA, but against some of the teams that he's going to face down the road, they're going to need that mobility until Quinn Ewers is healthy again. I he, Look, he's not going to be able to throw the ball 65, 70 yards downfield. He's not going to be able to drop it into the bucket you know, down the sideline after a long, slow developing play action. That's not going to be who he is, but he can work the middle of the field. He can create with his legs, assuming his ankle is healthy. And I think he can buy time enough to be able to offset some of the run game and get some of the nakeds and bootlegs going to make sure that their receivers, their speedy receivers are running away from the coverage that they're going to receive on the other side of the football. So I think it's a really dangerous spot. And this will, this game this week, this will test the maturity of the Texas Longhorns. They should win the game on paper based on talent. They should win the game. But if they are reading their press clippings and feeling great about what they did last week and they don't respect their opponent, it could be a long one there against the Roadrunners. So basically, don't be Texas A&M. All right. Number nine, <laughs> should Michigan State be on upset alert going on the road at Washington? Well, let's, let's start with where Michigan State's at right now. I, I think that Peyton Thorne, so far, he's, he's kind of just trying to figure it. He hasn't been great so far. Now, they haven't really needed him to either. I mean, if you really look at where they're at, the passing attack is it's just not necessarily clicking on all cylinders. Now, look at the run game. Michigan State's been excellent. 
so far in the first couple of weeks of the season. I think the one-two punch at running back, Berger's been as advertised. I think uh, they're really in a great spot. So, But at some point now that the competition is starting to increase just a little bit, you got to start getting a little bit more a little bit more consistency out of the quarterback spot. Uh, I do think that he looked, Peyton Thorne that is, looked a little bit better as the game went on last week, but it's just taken him a little bit too long to kind of get into a rhythm. And they got to find some opportunities for him early in the game to get comfortable and kind of throw his way into the game. So hopefully they can figure that out. The good news is for Michigan State is their defense, as far as being able to affect the opposing quarterback, I know it's you know against two. I get that. But they're right now they lead the FBS in sacks. They have 12 sacks so far here in the first two games. And they're going to need it because Michael Penix, formerly of Indiana, he's the quarterback at Washington. He's the real deal. Not He's not flawless, but he has really been in form here these first couple weeks of the season. He looked about as sharp as can be expected given the fact that he's playing for a new team. But he's clearly very comfortable in Kalen DeBoer's offense. He was 20-27 for 340 and a couple touchdowns. He's not taking any sacks. He's also been really smart. Had that 84-yard touchdown pass to McMillan, which was a thing of beauty. So there's a lot to like right now about what we've seen from the passing attack for the Washington Huskies. McMillan's a handful. Giles Jackson is a handful. I think you got some really good weapons there. I'm not saying that they're John Ross and Dante Pettis. I'm not going that far just yet, but pretty good supporting cast that Penix has to rely on. Now, through two games, like I said, it's two games, but he's completed 70% of his passes for nearly 700 yards with about 10 yards per attempt, I might add, and has six touchdowns to just... One interception. So I'm very optimistic about what I've seen from him. I think the key is going to be whether or not Peyton Thorne can get comfortable early. You know they're going to run the ball well. I expect that. But can Peyton Thorne get comfortable early? And even though Penix has been great as far as avoiding sacks and avoiding negative plays, can that Michigan State pass rush get home the way it has in the first couple games of the season? All right. Staying out west for number 10, which QB will be better Saturday night? Bo Nix or Jaron Hall? I think Jaron Hall, like I think Bo Nix is still at this point a, a bit of a work in progress. He's going to make some great plays, but he's also going to make a boneheaded player too. I mean, until I see otherwise, that's just where I'm going to go with Bo Nix. The talent's there. I mean, he can run, he can throw. He's he's a gifted player, has, has, a, has a terrific skill set. But for whatever reason, man, there's going to be two or three throws in the game where it's like, dude, what are you thinking? So if he can avoid the catastrophic mistake, they'll be okay. But I'm not convinced that he can do that at least consistently throughout the course of a four-quarter game. He's never done it at any point of his career. So why all of a sudden would he do it now? I think Jaron Hall's the, the better option at this point. Even without his top two targets last week, working against a top 10 team in the country in Baylor, a team that prides themselves with their defensive looks and all the different things that they're going to throw at you, without Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney. Well, what does he do? He goes and identifies Chase Roberts and makes Chase Roberts unguardable. I mean, the guy's completing a high percent of his passes. He's doing a great job of evading tacklers, being athletic, extending plays. They haven't really been able to get much going on the ground just yet, by the way. If you look at what BYU was last year, Tyler Algier was a do-it-all. They could really run the football. That hasn't been the case so far this year. So will they improve with what they have going on right now and the run game to take some of the pressure off the quarterback, it'd be nice. I can tell you what, even if the run game's not there, 
I believe in Jaron Hall being able to make the plays for me that I need made throughout the course of the game to knock off a quality Pac-12 opponent. So uh, I lean towards BYU in this one, even though it'd be easy for them to be reading their press clippings. Uh, I don't think they will. That's just not the makeup of that team. And I think Jaron Hall might be one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in all of college football on the national landscape. The guy's the real deal, and people need to start taking notice. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. All right, now it's time for a staple that we've started to use and we really enjoy. Guess who said it? What do you got for us, Mark? All right. Press conferences, Monday and Tuesday. Greg, guess who said this? I have said this all along. This transfer thing, there is good and bad. Everything is new. So now I have to go on the road with all these guys who have never been on the road with us. So there are challenges with that. So it will be a very big test for us. McElroy, guess who said this? All right, who's going on the road for the first time? Who relies a lot on transfers? Well, considering uh, I saw pictures of this coach go viral yesterday where it says transfer to the SIP, I'm going to say that this is Lane Kiffin. That is correct. Lane, what do you have? You know, I've said all along, this transfer thing, there's good and bad. Everything's new. So now i got to go on the road with all these guys that have never been on the road with us and the challenges that come with that. So... Um, It'll be a very big test for us. All right, Lane Kiffin, he, he's right. I mean, you don't really know what you have when you go on the road. I mean, Alabama found that out last week. It's tough to go on the road. I don't care if you're going on the road to a team that you should beat considerably. I know Georgia Tech looked pretty good for the first three quarters against Clemson, but if you look at where Ole Miss is right now, you got Luke Altmyer and Jackson Dart who have alternated starts. I think it's going to be Jackson Dart given the fact that Altmyer had the upper body injury last week. Dart was pretty sharp in relief at the end of last game. I think he kind of carries over some of that momentum. So I'd be surprised if it's not Jackson Dart heading into this week, and it should be his show maybe moving forward. But they're going to have to run the ball really well. We know that Georgia Tech's going to be proud. They're going to get after you. And I think it's a good spot, too, to evaluate what you have on defense because even though Jeff Sims and company there at Georgia Tech, maybe they don't have crazy firepower. You know, Jameer Gibbs isn't there anymore. But they still, I thought, put forth a pretty impressive effort against an unbelievably good Clemson defense. So this will be a good barometer for where Ole Miss is at. I don't think that we're necessarily going to learn a ton from them, but we might learn enough to where we can figure out how problematic they may be when they get into SEC play. All right, next one. Staying with the transfer theme, guess who said that? 
I saw something the other day on TV about all the transfers that came out, but it looked like they came from far and wide to join him there. So really, the best of the best came there for that reason. McElroy, guess who said that? Well, I'm assuming that he is referring to uh, Lincoln Riley. So I'm going to say David Shaw. Ooh, that was very close. Jeff Tedford, the Trojans <laughs> opponent this week. You were on the right track. Um, I saw some something on TV the other day of all the transfers that came. I don't know exactly how many, but it looked like they came from far and wide uh, to join them there. And so, um, you know, you really, they're, you know, the best of the best. They came, came to play there for that reason. Close enough. Okay, so I was more looking back as opposed to looking forward. That's right, Fresno State, of course. Difficult game last week for Fresno um, going up against Oregon State. One of the better games of the weekend, I might add. Just a tremendous game there. Uh, have a ton of respect for Fresno. Have a ton of respect for Oregon State. But Jeff Tedford, he knows the drill, man. These guys have been around for a long time. He's seen a lot. Uh, and he's not wrong. A lot of guys did flock from all over the country to go be a part of what Lincoln Riley's building there at SC. So, uh, so far through two weeks, it's been very impressive. A lot to clean up on the defensive side, I might add, but offensively, man, they got it all going right now. So it's an exciting time to be watching and, uh, and it's an exciting time to be rooting for the SC Trojans. All right. Great show today. Really fun diving into some of the questions we have for teams coming up. And then of course, who said it? I still can't believe I guessed David Shaw instead of Jeff Tedford. That should have been a no brainer. It really wasn't that hard. Golly. It's Make it so much harder than it has to be. Uh, all right. Speaking of making it harder than it has to be, Eli's places occasionally, they go to parts unknown. All right. I love this show so much. You never know what you're going to hear. So let's take a look at what's to expect, what we're to expect here in a new episode of Eli's Places. I considered a school just because of a uniform. Virginia Tech, that maroon orange collab. Here's Vic taking the snap, scrambling, running with the football. I was hoping to get recruited by Oregon. Never happened. The confetti flying here in Glendale. No, we smiling right now. Hawaii, they had that dark green, black. A lot of schools in the SEC really isn't really like fashion. Yeah. All right, great, great look there into the conversation with Eli and Cam Newton. It's good to know what really led to Cam's decision to go to Auburn. That's it's always interesting. School uniforms. Then again, in fairness. Back then, this was like back in what, 2009-ish in that vicinity, whatever. Like that swag was like a huge deal. You know, it was like, all right, well, they got, uh, you know, playing time is one. Um, that was number one. And then like swag, like everyone like got your gear and like, oh, look at my bag full of swag. Like it was a big deal back then. So like in his defense, when he was coming out, swag was a little bit more a part of the equation. Like I remember I went on a visit to Colorado and they were like, we're one of the Nike combat teams. Look at how many different pairs of cleats we have. Look at our jerseys. And they're like really tight and they're like tighter than usual. And you have to use a machine to put your jersey on. I'm like, man, that's so cool. You know, <laughs> like why would jerseys be part of the decision-making process? I, I don't know, but I, I can't speak for everybody, but it's certainly, I went to Alabama. If you think jerseys played a role in my decision to attend Alabama, you're dead wrong. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things. Jerseys, however, not part of it whatsoever. All right, great show today. Really appreciate 
y'all being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It's on ESPN's YouTube channel. Just press the like, the little thumbs up button. You can do it there. You can't rate on ESPN's YouTube channel. Some people are asking that. Just, you know, you can't rate there. Just give us a thumbs up. We're all good. Tell your friends as well. We really appreciate that. Word of mouth is big in this profession. So we appreciate you spreading the word about what we're trying to do here at Always College Football. If you're on the ESPN uh, ESPN YouTube page, like it. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can rate. So give us five stars or don't rate. Uh, you can also do the same on Spotify. So we appreciate you working with us on that. You can hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. You can hit us up via Instagram or, or via Twitter at alwayscfb. That's alwayscfb. Appreciate you guys very much. I'm on Greg McElroy too, so you can hit me up on there as well. Uh, I interact sometimes too. I'm bad at Twitter, but I try. <laughs> so appreciate you being with us. For all of us here at Always College Football, he's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.